myself. I don't know about you, but there are days that God just confuses me. You know, the scripture says that his ways are not our ways. So we don't always understand everything that we need to understand about who he is. But I'm convinced that the most important thing about you is the way you understand God. It's important because we must understand who he is and how he lives among us. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about and ask this question, will the real God please stand up? How many of you years ago remember that there was a television show uh, that we would watch and, and the guests would come on and they would ask all of these questions to see if they could determine which one of the individuals was the real one. If it was a scientist or if it was an athlete or whatever the case may be, there were usually, usually three people sitting there and they would pepper them with all of these questions until finally they would have to guess to see which one of those individuals is the real one. And at the end, the moderator of the show would ask this question. He would say, will the real Rob Baker or whoever please stand up? And I always liked it because they, they always tried to dramatize it to some degree. Someone would start to stand up and then they'd sit back down. Then another one would kind of start to stand up and then start to stand up until finally the real individual would stand up and then everybody would say, oh, well, that's not the one I thought it was. Or, yeah, that, I, I had that one guessed, you know. But will the real God please stand up? We need to know who he is. Because if we don't know who he is, it's very difficult for us to be who we are and who has created us to be. So Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Read with me today. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. And with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And he said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that you will release your spirit among us so that we can have 
a, a, a reception of knowledge and a spirit of understanding and a holy anointing to be able to utilize wisdom in our lives. It takes your word these days to really be able to see you as you are. And I pray that you'll use this servant today to speak appropriately and to speak in such a way that your people can hear you and see you and then change their lives because of you. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. About 10 years ago, there was a fascinating survey that took place with seven leading theological seminaries in the United States. Over the course of this time, thousands of theological students training for the ministry were surveyed to find out what they believed about God. What was their fundamental belief about who God is? And they asked them some questions that would reveal to them who God is. The two questions that they asked about the foundation and fundamental belief system was, number one, this statement, God, God's love includes all people. His desire is that all should know him. And the second question that they posed was, God is holy and will not allow evil to triumph. And so as they asked these seminarians which of these two statements they believed the most, it's not hard to believe that 80% of them chose the statement about the love of God. 18.5% said that he is holy and that he will not allow evil to triumph. So a, a clear four to one shows the God of love over the God of holiness. Now our minds might would suggest, well, I would be in agreement with that. I would much rather see God as a God of love than I would a God of holiness. But here's what we need to understand. God is able to be both at the same time. God is able to not only be a holy God, but he is able to be a God of love at the same time. And so we have to understand who he is. Now, what we're going to try to understand over the next course of these next two weeks is that the way that you see God and understand God is probably the most important thing in your life. Because if you don't see God as you should, then you won't be able to make the right decisions to see life as you should. If you don't see him as being God, then it will affect every decision that you make. So the most important thing about you is how you see God. If your view of God is wrong, then your view of life is wrong. If your view of God is wrong, then your, your view of money is wrong. If your view of God is wrong, your view of success is wrong. If your view of God is wrong, the view of your spouse and your loved ones is wrong. Because everything about our lives in this world and in the flesh is tied to our view of God in the spirit. So today I want to suggest three things that I believe are very important for us to understand. And the first is this. I need to see the real God. I don't need some made up God. I don't need some God that I have created or that I have made him to be. 
I need to see God as he truly is. So in verses 1, 2, and 3, Isaiah said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each having six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now let me give you some background here. It's very important to note that Isaiah said that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. In other words, this was a watershed moment for Isaiah. It was just not another day in the week. It was not an ordinary day. It was a day that held great significance for him. Many of you would agree that we can remember the day that President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Many of you would be able to tell me where you were on that day and what you were doing. We remember the day that Ronald Reagan, uh, an attempt was made on his life. And we thought, well, maybe here we go again. Thankfully, he survived and was able to continue in his role as president. Many of you would remember September 11th. And all I would have to do is just say September 11th. And you'd probably remember where you were and what you were doing and who you were with. These are what we call watershed moments. These are big moments, but I would suggest to you that there are happenings in our life on a regular basis that are also watershed moments to us. I can, I can remember when Donna had surgery several years ago on a, on a heart uh, electrical circuit that was in her heart and had to have a procedure done. And I, I remember when she came out of that feeling like, God is able to do anything. I, I, you know, God can do what mankind would say is just very difficult and hard. You say, well, didn't a doctor do that? Yes, a doctor did that, but the doctor only did it because of the gifts that God provided him and the anointing that he had to work on her body. It was a watershed moment, and there have been so many of those through the years that take my mind to a place where I have an understanding of who God is, and you too. You see, Uzziah was a very successful king in Judah. In Judah. He came in, and through his leadership, he put a lot of money into defense spending, and Jerusalem became a fortified city, one that enemies could not penetrate and could not get into because of the work of Uzziah. He allowed the economy to grow through agriculture and commerce, and, and, and the, the economy was booming, and people had money and had resources, and, and everything that they needed was there because of the leadership of Uzziah and his dependence upon God. They were blessed with peace and prosperity, and everyone was enjoying life because of this king, Uzziah. But then something happened to Uzziah. Uzziah had a change of heart. And he stopped believing that God was the one who was doing all of this. And he started thinking that he was the one who was doing this. And he became arrogant before God. And he became high and haughty and lifted up in his own mind. And because of that, God put leprosy upon him and used that leprosy to cause him to die. 
And at the very end of Uzziah's life, the king of Assyria had heard that he was dying. And so the king of Assyria comes and positions himself so that when Uzziah died, he could sweep in and take Judah captive and then have them and and the, the city for his own. And so the people that had once had plenty of money and plenty of resources and plenty of peace and plenty of prosperity now suddenly found themselves in a place of fear and, and, and I don't know what's going to happen and my expectations are not what they once were. Let me just stop long enough to say that there are many of us in our lives today that we are where they were. We've been in a place of happiness and joy and fullness and God blessed us. And then all of a sudden the doctor gave us a report that we weren't expecting and everything changed. We fell in love with someone and we thought we'd spend the rest of our lives with them and in absolute and pure joy. And then all of a sudden we discovered that they no longer loved us, no longer wanted to be with us and, and they left only to leave you alone. We find ourselves in situations that change suddenly and in those suddenlies how we view God is what will get us through in that moment and through our lives you see in that moment Isaiah saw something in his spirit that no one had ever seen before because the scripture says Isaiah saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up, and the glory of the Lord was filling the place where he was. And so he saw God. You say, well, did he see him in person? I don't believe he saw him in person. The Bible says no man has seen the Lord and lived from it. I believe that he had a spiritual revelation of who God is. And the good news is that if Isaiah can have a spiritual revelation of who God is, then you and I can have a spiritual revelation of who God is. Amen. So he saw something. He saw him as Lord. Now, if, if you're looking in, in your Bibles, you'll see that word Lord there. You remember we did a study several months ago about the titles of God. And here we see that word Lord is translated as the title Adonai which simply means that God is sovereign. Sovereign just simply means that he's over over everything. He's over it all. It doesn't matter what it is. God controls it. God is over that. He is able to oversee everything. So he is Adonai. It is not his name, but it is his title. So there are times in our lives when, like like Isaiah, we have to say, I see the Lord. I see him as Adonai. I see him as the God, the Lord, who is over everything that touches my life. Let me tell you something this morning. If you don't see him as Adonai, if you don't see him as Lord, if you don't see him as the one who is in control, then when sickness comes and when difficulty comes and and, and when hardships come, uh, it's going to throw you for a loop. But people who are able to successfully navigate the rivers of life are the ones who see him as Adonai, the God who is sovereign, the God who is over all things. So he saw God. What I would suggest to you today is what Isaiah saw then, we need to see now. He said, well, I would love to have a revelation of God. I would love to see in the Spirit what Isaiah saw. Can I suggest to you today that even if you don't have a dream or a vision, 
There have been times in my life I don't, I don't remember really ever seeing a vision that, that, that comes to my mind right now, but I've had dreams that were so real and so vivid to me. And I would wake up from that dream and I would realize that God was speaking to me, that God was trying to get a message to me. When my mind was quiet and at rest, the dream would come. I don't believe that every dream that is vivid is from God. It may just mean that you had too much pizza before you went to bed the night before. But there are significant dreams and visions that God gives us. But I would suggest to you today that as bad as you would like to have a dream and as much as you'd like to have a vision from God, the best way for you to learn about God and who he is is through this book that we call the Bible. It doesn't just contain the word of God. This book is the word of God. And if you want to know what God is doing and who he is and what his capabilities are and you want your faith to to, to grow, then you need to get your face in this book and understand who God is. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. I suggested to the crowd Wednesday night in my class that we need to hear the word of God. I don't mean that you just need to come hear me preach although I'm honored that you would come. I'm I'm glad that you have access to preachers on TBN and on the radio and on the internet. I'm thankful that you can hear good, godly preaching just about any time you want it. But there's nothing that replaces you opening your book and reading out loud the word of the Lord. You say, why do I need to read it out loud? I don't like to listen to my voice. I don't like to hear myself get somewhere alone along with God, where it doesn't matter if anybody hears you and begin to read this book out loud, because not only will it affect your brain, but it will go into your hearing and then go into your spirit and faith will begin to rise in you because of the word of God, because this book reveals who God is. So we need to know who he is. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2 says, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. The psalmist said it like this in chapter 99 and verse 5. It says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. And then Isaiah said again in chapter 40 and verse 8, 18, he said, To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare with him? The Hebrew word here for holiness just simply means separate. It means to live or exist in a state of separateness. In other words, I may be in the world, but I am not of the world. I don't live according to worldly standards. I don't live according to fleshly standards. I live according to holy standards and godly standards. I live in righteousness because God has given me the ability to do that. I have the mind of Christ in me. I have royal blood flowing in my veins. So it would be absolutely inappropriate for me to live according to the world's standards when what God is wanting to do is raise me up to a place of spiritual maturity where I am walking by faith according to the word of God. So the Hebrew word means separate or separateness. It comes from a Semitic root that means to cut away. 
And I don't know if you've ever eaten any fruit. I like fruit, and sometimes the easiest way for me to eat it is to cut it apart rather than just stick it in my mouth and try to take a bite off. But you can cut it apart. And once you cut it apart, it then becomes separate from the rest of the apple or from the rest of the peach. And you are able then to participate or partake of the peace that is separate. It is living in a different realm. We are separate from the things of the world. And what Isaiah is saying here is he's not talking about himself. He's talking about God. He's talking about the characteristic that, that God possesses, that he doesn't just have holiness, but he is holiness. He doesn't just have love, but he is love. He is these things. So God is a cut above any other God in any other individual. So he is described as holy. Now you might notice in the passage that we read, read that it says he is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now in scripture, when you want to emphasize something, particularly in Hebrew poetry, repetition is the method that you use. Now, for those of you who like to post on Facebook, you don't really have the ability to emphasize things the way that you could if you were doing it in a Word document or if you were doing it by hand. Because to emphasize something in our day is to make it in bold letters or to italicize it or to underline it in some way or to highlight it and make it a different color. If you could see my message notes today, you'd find about four or five different colors on here where I have gone through with my pen and I have colored my notes so that I know the progression of my thoughts. We, we, do, we use these methods in order to emphasize something. But in the Bible, when they wanted to emphasize something, in the Jewish nation, they would repeat themselves. And so they would say, God is holy, holy, holy. He's not just a little bit holy, but he is as holy as anything can be. He is holy, holy, holy. It's interesting that at no other time in Scripture is God, God's name or the description of God emphasized in triplicate. You don't see anywhere in Scripture where it says that God is love, love, love. You don't see anywhere where it says God is mercy, mercy, mercy. It doesn't say anywhere in Scripture that God is justice, justice, justice. He may be all of those things, and he is. But only one time in Scripture did he feel the need for his people to know that I am holy, holy, holy. And the message came from the angels of heaven who declared him to be holy, holy, holy. God is separate. God is a cut above. God is more than enough for you today. Amen. He is holy. You see, in the traditional Pentecostal church, we have a misunderstanding of holiness. We think it's a hairdo or a, or a way to dress. And you've heard me through the years address that. It's, it's not the way you look. It's, it's not your outward appearance. It, it, it's not that kind of thing. We used to look for those kinds of markers to see if someone is holy. But I've seen people that looked as holy as anybody could look. That when I got to know who they were in their spirit, I discovered that they weren't holy at all. 
What I'm talking, talking to you about today is a God that is not holy. He's not declared holy based on the way he looks on the outside. He is holy because he is holy. He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. He is separate from anything else. He is separate and a cut above anything that we can consider. So I have to know the real God first of all. Secondly... When I know the real God, the real God will reveal the real me. Isaiah 6, 4 through 7 says, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Now listen, when we look at God and see him as he is, we have an understanding that he is holy. The best way for me to illustrate what happened to Isaiah is that he had this spiritual window, if you will, that allowed him to see from where he was to where God was. You see, the Holy Spirit had not been given at that time, and their perception or relationship with God was very different. How many of you know the Spirit of the living God lives in us today? He is not just in the neighborhood. He's not just at church. He lives within his people. So wherever I am, wherever I go, I have the ability to take the Spirit of God with me because He's a part of me. I'm a part of Him. But in Isaiah's day, he had to see the revelation of God in a very different way. And it was as though he had a a window that he could look through into the Holy of Holies, into who God was. And he looked through that window. And as long as he was looking through that window, he could see God in His fullness. And then something spiritual happened. The hand of God took that window, if you will, and he transformed it from a window that you could see through into a mirror that reflected who Isaiah was. And so instead of Isaiah looking through a window at God, now by the help of the Spirit, he was looking at himself through a mirror that had been transformed by the the hand of God. So what happened here is as he began to relate to God, as he began to understand who God was, then God began to reveal to Isaiah who he was. And he began to see himself. You see, it didn't matter what people thought about Isaiah. In fact, you could have gone to people and said, this guy Isaiah, tell me about him. And they would have said things like that, this. They would have said, well, he is a great prophet. He was a man of unquestioned integrity. He was a man of character. He was full of moral righteousness. He was a paragon of virtue. He was the epitome epitome of righteousness. He was all those things. But when Isaiah saw himself himself in the light of Almighty God, the only thing that he could say is, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. Let me tell you something. When you really get a good glimpse of who God is in your life, 
you'll never be able to look at yourself the same. I'm not saying that you should put yourself down and, and get discouraged and get frustrated. I just think that what you do when you look in the mirror is you improve yourself. Now, this morning when I was fixing myself up, looking good like I am today, shaved a little bit, combed my hair, fixed it. I even, I even turned and took the mirror and looked from this mirror into that mirror so I could see the back of my hair. I don't know if it's still laying down or not, but I tried. I spit on it and I glued it down with hairspray and all that kind of stuff. Did the best I could. The whole purpose of a mirror is for you to change something about yourself. If you don't care how you look, you won't look in the mirror. You'll just put it on and then you'll just go. You won't worry about whether or not your teeth look clean or whether or not your hair is combed or whether or not your shirt has been ironed or your pants are, are just right. It won't matter about that because you won't care. But when you look in the mirror, the purpose of looking in the mirror is to affect change on your physical appearance. And the same is true in the spirit. When you look into the mirror of God's word, it won't be just some activity that you do that is a religious fulfillment. Oh, well, the pastor expects me to read the Bible. God expects me to read the Word. No, when you get this book and you start reading into this book and seeing God for the way He is, then something happens in the spiritual realm that changes your perception from a window that you are looking through into a mirror that reflects who you are. And it gives you the ability to say, God, I'm not everything I need to be. I'm not the individual that you want me to be. I'm not the child of God that you've called me to be. But with your help and with your anointing, I will change myself into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Listen, you can't do it on your own. You're going to have to participate and cooperate with God. But God, if God has called you to be holy, then he won't ask you to do it on your own. He will help you to become the child of God that he has called you to be. Amen. See, it only took one look at a holy God for, for, for Isaiah to see how sinful that he really is. I've discovered this. I, I read this this week, and it's a true statement. The more I know of God, the less I think of myself. I don't know about you, but I, I you know, there are days I, get, I start thinking, you know, of myself and thinking, yeah, I'm a pretty good guy. There are a lot of things I could do that I don't do. There's a lot of things I could say that I don't say. There's a lot of places I could go, but I don't go. I'm a pretty good guy. But then I realize that all of that is outward appearance and all of that is just from my perspective. But when I really start seeing God, the real God, then I can't help but see myself and realize that there needs to be some adjustment in my life. You see, what happened was, is that as soon as Isaiah saw God, he said, I am undone. Now, what that word undone means in the Hebrew literally means I have come unraveled. I put on this shirt this morning and right over here, there was a string hanging out there. Look in my desk, in my office, and I was looking for my scissors. And once again, someone has stolen my scissors from my desk drawer. No scissors in my desk drawer. So I got my letter opener. 
And I thought, well, I'll just cut the ramble off with my letter opener. I sawed on it and sawed on it and sawed on it. I finally got all of it, but about a quarter of an inch. But you would never even see it if I hadn't pointed it out to you. But I can literally say to you that I am unraveled. How many of you feel like in your personal life, in your spiritual life, that there are days that you're just absolutely unraveled, that you're coming apart? It's like the little boy that went with his family to Florida. He's five years old. They went out on the beach and they laid out in the sun for a few days and they came home and about three or four days after he had gotten a sunburn and you know how sunburns are. If you're like me, two or three days later, it starts peeling off. I don't ever tan. I just, I am white and there's not a thing in the world I can do about it. Man, I've tried to rub that bronzer on me. It just doesn't work. I decided one time a few years ago I was going to get in one of those spray tanning booths. Went in there. Jesus, help me to bronze. Might bring glory to you. Turn around, turn around, turn around, turn around, turn around. And that came out of there. I don't know how it happened, but it started streaking on me. And I was... Tan and white, tan and white, tan and white. It was the most ungodly, awful thing I've ever seen in my life. I made up my mind that day that I'm just a white boy. I don't know any other way to say it. But I'm just a white boy. That's what God made me to be. That's what I'll be. This five-year-old boy who had gotten sunburned, he came in. It was peeling off. And he said to his mom, he said, Mom, I can't believe it. I'm already five, I'm only five years old and I'm coming apart. Some of us are coming apart. What we need to see is God. Then Isaiah 6 and 7 says, The one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. You say, thank God for that, but pastor, that's an Old Testament thing. Well, let me tell you, 1 John translates that, chapter 1, verse 9, and it simply says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, I'm here to tell you today that Jesus Christ is the answer to your sin. And if you will confess your sin before him, he will be faithful and just he will forgive you of your sins uh, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness if you've been forgiven and cleansed today give the Lord praise in this house this morning and then finally this morning the real me must surrender to the real God I must see the real God and when I see the real God I will be able to see the real me And thirdly, the real me must surrender to the real God. Verse 8 says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. I don't know if you've ever had moments in your lives where it seemed as though you heard 
the voice of the Lord. I have never audibly heard the voice of the Lord. It may be that some of you have. I haven't. I've known people through the years that say they've heard an audible voice from heaven, from God. I've never experienced that. But I have heard his voice. I hear his voice on a regular basis as his word speaks to me. But Isaiah in this revelation heard the voice of the Lord. And the Lord said, who shall go for us? And who shall we send? And Isaiah responded the only way that he knew how. He said, here am I, Lord, send me. Can, can I tell you as a pastor, one of the most refreshing things that I ever hear is when someone says, God has truly impacted my life. I will never, ever be able to be the same. I can't carry on business the way that I once have. I can't do nothing on behalf of the kingdom of God. I have to be involved. I have to do something. But you know what I hear more than just about anything? I hear people saying, when you've heard the voice of the Lord, I hear people saying, you know, send him. You know, I think they'd be better at that than me. Send her. Oh, pastor, that's the reason we hired you. That's the reason we have you as the pastor. Let me clarify something for you right now. You know this. I've told you this for eight years. It remains true. It's not my job to do the work of the kingdom of God in your household. It's your job. My job is to teach you and train you so that you can do the work of the kingdom of God. I don't mind praying for your loved ones. I don't mind going to the hospitals and seeing them. I'm gonna tell you, the last two weeks, I've been in hospitals more than I want to. I did a funeral just yesterday for someone. I don't mind doing those kinds of things. I'm glad to serve. But listen, God has raised you up to be a voice in your realm of responsibility. It's not my job to win your husband to the Lord, although I'm happy to help. It's not my job for you for me, you to ask me to come and get your wife straightened out so that she can start obeying you the way that she vowed to do when you got married. It's not my job. I can't do it, and I'm not even I'm not gonna try. You say, well, you. You've just gotten high. No, I told you the first day that I came here that this is not a me thing. This is a we thing. And let me remind you that everything God does in this world, he does through his people. God can work miracles and he sometimes does. But more times than not, God raises up men and women like you to take your place in the kingdom of God and do what he's called you to do. It's my job to equip the saints for the working of the kingdom of God. And it's the job of the saints then to do the working of the kingdom of God. So I'll just go to another church where the pastor doesn't believe that. Well, I can't stop you. Most of the time, I don't even know you're gone until six months later. Somebody tells me that you're going somewhere else. I don't even want to get on that today. Let me tell you something. 
God is doing the work that He is doing in your life, not so that you can be comfortable, but so that you can be effective in the kingdom of God. But only you can do it. Only you can stand up. Stop saying there he is, send him or send the pastor, send the missionary or send the trained professional, send anybody, but don't send me. No, God is counting on you to do what he has called you and equipped you to do. That's how the kingdom of God will grow. First Peter chapter one, verses 15 and 16 says it like this, but as he who called you is holy, You also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's not talking about you dressing a certain way. It's not talking about you talking a certain way. It's talking about you patterning patterning your, your life according to the spiritual revelation that you have of a holy God and living a holy life. It means that you'll take your life before God and you'll say, here am I, send me. You take your family and you'll say, here they are, use them. You'll take your money and you'll say, here it is, God, use this. It's all yours anyway. It's got your name on it anyway. So I'm giving it into your hands. You see, when you come to this place that I'm talking about, you will say, it is all yours everything I am everything I hope to be it is all because of you and therefore everything I am and everything I have is yours I'm all in let me tell you I'm looking for some people in this church that are all in I'm looking for some people and God is too who will say I'm not looking for other options God planted me in this body of Christ. And since God planted me in this body of Christ, I'm going to bloom where I'm planted. I hear people all the time say to me, I can't do that, Pastor. I don't believe I could ever be involved in ministry because I've got to be in worship myself. I can't be somewhere else doing something when I need to be in the sanctuary hearing the word of the Lord. I can't sacrifice. I need it myself. Let me tell you something. For some of you, the place that God is trying to get you to and the level of maturity that he's trying to raise you up to will only come when you begin to sacrifice yourself the way God wants you to sacrifice. And you will discover that your growth and your maturity in the Lord is packaged in that sacrifice. I'm hoping that God will make some of you so uncomfortable when you're listening to me preach that you'll say, I'd rather serve in the back building than to have to hear that man preach one more time. I'd rather teach a Sunday school class. I'd rather help with the children's ministries. I'd rather clean up the coffee pots. I'd rather do anything than to have to hear him preach again. I pray that a spirit of godly uncomfortableness will come all over people who know that they are called to be in service to the kingdom of God and yet simply refuse to do it. I'm praying that the spirit of Isaiah will come on you 
And you'll say to God, Lord, here I am. For you see, I believe that when you see God as He really is, He will help you see yourself as you really are. And once you see yourself as you really are, you won't have any choice but to become the person that He wants you to be. Listen, you're going to bow to Him one of these days anyway. Scripture says every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. Why not do it now and allow the blessings of God to come into your life in this season right now? Will you stand with me today? I'll go home this afternoon and I'll beat myself up all day because I didn't make you feel happy and feel good. Nobody stood up and clapped their hands and said, Woo, glory, I felt a chill go up and down my spine. But what I need you to understand today is that this is God's church. We will never be what God wants us to be or designed us to be until all of us get involved at our level of maturity and where God wants us to be. And I would much rather challenge you and watch you raise the bar in your life than make you feel good and watch you never become all that God has intended for you to be. I love you. God has great things for us. God has great things for you. But we're going to have to surrender ourselves to Him. And we're going to have to come to that place where Isaiah said, I see you. And the real God has stood up today and identified himself as a holy God, a separate God, holy, holy, holy. And God, if you were holy, then I must be holy as well because you've called me to be a holy individual. I want to pray for you right now. Let me pray. Father, I look across this congregation and I see in men and women that have so much potential. I see so many, Lord, that they've they've never come to that level of maturity in their life because they've really never taken the time to see you for who you are. And Lord, it's so much easier for me to just tickle people, help them feel better, Speak to their itching ears, but Lord, you've not called me to do that. You've called me here to raise the bar. You've called me here to challenge men and women to become all that they can be. And the only way that they can do that is if they get serious about seeing who you are so that you can reveal to them who they are and who they can become through your spirit and by your power. And so, Father, today, I pray that in your name you will help us to grow and mature in our faith as you reveal yourself to us in a powerful, powerful, powerful way. Would you keep your heads bowed for just a moment? I want to ask you a question.